Welcome back to another Youth Centered Podcast. I appreciate all the feedback we're getting on our most recent podcast. Obviously, with summer over, we're back at this every week, and I am excited about uh, this week's guest. Uh, We're a few days late on it. Um, We had to work around his very uh, crazy schedule with the North End of a Fire Department. This is a special one for me, one of my all-time favorite kids. Uh, And he's not a kid anymore, by the way. Just told me he's 37 years old. Uh, but we've had a huge history since, obviously, uh, when this young young man started coming to uh, the youth center. So my guest today is present North Ottawa Fire Department, Chris Rowan. Uh, and Chris kind of grew up, obviously, here in North Andover. And today, our topic, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about his journey, right? Uh, we're going to talk about some of the resiliency that he did. And, and my message, what I'm trying to get at today, is to a lot of maybe those late middle school, high school kids that maybe just don't know where they're at in life right now and stuff's hitting them really hard, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's just normal life skill stuff that's going on here. And Chris is going to tell his a little bit of his story, which has been a bumpy road and uh, is doing great right now. So without further ado, my man is Chris Rowan. Chris, for those who don't know you or don't know you as one of our shining firemen, uh, who is Chris Rowan? Um, Chris Rowan, I don't know, grew, grew up in North Andover, born and raised, um, did nothing but sports and hung out with a lot of the guys in town and then, uh, graduated high school, North Andover, went to college for, I don't know, a year, wasn't really for me, uh, spent too much time enjoying myself, I think, ended up uh, in the military out in California for five years, fell in love with it, moved back, uh, got on the fire department and been here since ever since so so let's let's delve back into the history where I started to first know you and uh it's been great you know prior to prior to going on the year here Chris and I were reminiscing about just some of the great years we've all had here and as I said this is one special dude to me so Chris you know let's talk a little bit about when I first probably met you as a middle school kid um um, Chris, good-looking kid, athletic kid, a um, little bit of a wise ass, um, somebody that could uh, bust chops with anybody. Um, but you were going through some tough things at that point. Can you talk a little bit about what, what, what life was for you back in those middle school years? Yeah, middle school was, uh, was tough for me because, you know, like Rick said, I was friendly with people and, and played sports and stuff, but uh, home life wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be. Uh, it was hard. I didn't really have friends over a lot. Um, had a stepmother, had my father, didn't get along with my stepmother at all. Um, both parents were smokers in the house, so I was always embarrassed to have people over. My clothes always smelled. It, it wasn't great, um, but sports kind of kept me involved in everything, kept me involved in the youth center, kept me involved with, uh, with all my friends and stuff. But uh, I think I was pretty angry kid growing up. I didn't know that I was angry then. I knew I had anger issues, but I didn't know that I was angry all the time. Um, It would come out in sports and stuff, and I'd get in trouble with coaches and all that, but I didn't know that I was angry you know, day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this. So that's actually when we started to develop a relationship. Your mother, 
um, is obviously sisters with Cynthia Sayre and yeah. your cousins with the infamous Sayre brothers. And that's kind of how they actually reached out to me and said, hey, you know, you know, like you to talk to Chris, that type of thing. And and our first involvement, I don't know if you remember correctly, was for some of the reasons you just said, like your anger was coming out like in the area that you were excelling at, which was sports. Right. Yeah. So I would hear from a football coach or a basketball coach saying, hey, can you talk to Chris? You know, he's a good kid, but he's just angry. And I think, you know, it was it was clear to you at that point, and I'm not sure how many middle school kids really know about their own anger issues at that point, but you were demonstrating it, and it would play out on the field a little bit where people thought you were a little bit of a jerk, right? Um, and, you know, you were, you were a pretty talented athlete. Um, how did you balance that, and how did you kind of work through, and again, before you got to high school, like how did you work through those youth things, and what kind of maybe helped you recognize some of the anger issues? Um, I definitely think, I mean, Rick, you obviously a big part of it. Um, I think it was my dad who, I know Cynthia mentioned something to you about me and speaking to me, but I think maybe my dad said that maybe you should go talk to somebody. Um, I had a few therapists, but it was always, um, the questions were always about my stepmother and my dad, and, and it was never really about what's going on with me. It was about what, what don't you like about your home life or what, you know, and it was never about like, why are you so angry? What's, what's coming out of you? As far as sports go, it was, uh, I loved the anger side of it because it felt like it gave me an edge mm -hmm. um, where I wasn't as, I wasn't the best basketball player in the world, but I was aggressive and and played good defense and boxed out and did those things so i feel like it helped me a little bit but um i noticed that some of my friends and stuff were starting to not want to be around me uh that was tough it was you know i we'd play sports together and stuff and you know teddy and paul and those guys sure and then afterwards where everyone would go for ice cream or go to someone's house either i wouldn't be invited or i just wouldn't feel at home there you know um I don't know. I, I guess I didn't know I was as angry as I was. Right. I wish I did. Yeah. Because I look back on it now and I, I get it. Yeah. And but you I didn't. We've had great adult conversations about yeah. that time in your life. And, and the one thing is you were always willing to talk to me. So it wasn't yeah. like, ah, screw it. I'm not talking to Rick Gorman. We would have conversations. And what I loved about you is you didn't necessarily always agree with me. And a lot of it had to be with, no, I'm not angry, Rick. Like right. you, you know me. I know you care about me. But you don't know. And the reality was, you know, I was very close with your sister, Kim. Yep. Love her. She's doing great. Wish we saw her more often down in Connecticut, right? Uh, so they moved. They're in California. California. Yeah. They're in California now. Yeah. But so I got to know Kim a lot. And, and obviously, Kim was worried about you. And I know how close you and Kim are yeah. uh, and were, obviously, at that point in time. And, uh, you know, her thing was he does appreciate what you're trying to do, but I don't think he knows what's going on. And that's just, you know, she's your older sister. She sees things a little bit more than I did on that. Um, so then what we tried to do was channel, okay, how do we make that aggressiveness in sports work for your advantage, but also not get to the point where people are thinking that you're a problem or stuff like that. And, and early on, I did see that. Like, you know, perfect example is what you're saying. When basketball or, or football or just playing at the youth center was yeah. over, um, you weren't being invited back to people's houses. And I think there were a variety of reasons for that. And mm -hmm. I think part of it was you too. I don't think with some of the stuff going on in your own life, you probably weren't comfortable going to certain places. But the other thing was, oh, Jesus, he just flipped out in the game. We really <laughs> want him back at the house. 
So then that brings us through your high school years. And, you know, I, as you left the eighth grade, I think, and I still will say this to this day, I think you had the potential to be a, one of those great three-sport athletes in North Andover. You could have played, I actually think you could have played any sport, I'll be honest with you, you pick stuff up. But then there was the issue, and, and you were pretty hardened in terms of the people had impressions of you. And, you know, we talked a little bit. You didn't come from a family that knew everybody in town and didn't have, you know, what we, you know people don't want to say, but, you know, political connections in terms yeah. of youth sports. And you got angry about that and then felt like you were being screwed over. And then for the first time, I started to see it not only hurt you in the athletic field, but... I was wondering where academics was really your importance. Take us take us through those tough four years at North End of High. Yeah, I uh, I got very lucky um, freshman year of high school. Um, started dating. Uh, I had a girlfriend. She was a senior. Um, had an unbelievable family. They um, were very nice to me. They weren't crazy about the age difference, but they were very nice to me, and it kind of gave me an outlet as to if I didn't want to be at home. And I wanted to be, you know, with a loving family or, or around somebody who cared. I could spend time with them. Um, even freshman year, like you said, I wasn't doing great in school. Um, then sophomore year, met a new girlfriend. Um, and her and her family were unbelievable. Um, she pushed me for sports. She pushed me for academics. I remember my grades went from, I was basically a C student. Um, smart enough to do the work. I just was lazy and didn't really care. And I think my sophomore year, I ended up with all A's and B's. And um, yeah, I think I had to double check to make sure that was actually true. Yep. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, uh, it I, was an, an amazing rebound, where I was like, okay, you're capable of doing this. Yes, it's it, it's always been that way with me. It's it's uh, smart enough to do it, and I and I like you said, I can grasp things pretty easily. But I just was too lazy and and didn't care. Um, and then junior year of high school is kind of when it all kind of came to a head trying out for basketball um loved basketball my whole life sure hands down favorite sport loved everything about it um had some substance issues with my mother and it was right around tryouts time right. and uh i remember after that whole thing happened i was obviously pretty upset coach pulled me in like before one of the trial practices or whatever and i asked him hey what time is practice today and he just kind of told me um, can't have a guy like you basically on the team. We have a lot of guys that you grew up with and we're going to have a good squad. And he basically said, I can't have the disruptions that you bring to the team. Uh, it was frustrating. It hurt. Um, but I kind of understood what he was saying. I understand it. You understand it more now. I mean, I get it now. I right. totally get it. Um, but it hurt at the time. And, and, to what I thought was seeing guys that I didn't think were better than me or better players or better teammates, um, that hurt. So that was a tough one. Uh, I don't know. Rest of the sports in high school, baseball was always a – I was great at baseball. I just didn't like it. Didn't love it. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I think after the basketball thing happened, all the anger and stuff that I had and was built up, I just kind of threw it into football and fell in love with it. Uh, loved everything about football. But, it, you know – you get to take your aggression out and it's a lot more physical sport, but yeah, it was definitely a sport for you because, and I remember, I remember that I remember what happened with basketball because yeah. if, if you don't remember and most kids are in this situation too, they get cut. First guy they come and see is me. Right. Yep. And you know, you as a young man bitched about the situation, angry with the coach. And you know, I, I tried to give you the adult perspective, right? Like 
you got to understand. I understand where your anger is. I understand where your hurt is. But at the end of the day, I, I understand where the coach is coming from too. Because to be honest, with you, I knew you better than anybody, so right. it it didn't surprise me. Um, you know, would I have hoped that maybe there could have been some common ground? Because you did love basketball more than any sport. Yeah. But football did allow you to take out a lot of aggression. And I don't, when I say that, it was nothing cheap shot or whatever, but you allowed you to kind of really blow off some steam. And it ended up being probably your best sport, right? I would say hands down, yeah. Right. Because I continued, even after getting cut from basketball, we still had the summer league going. Um, still played with all those guys. But I even think after that, I think senior year, the summer league, I didn't get to play with Paul and those guys. They kind of did their own thing and, and – I was with Chaz and those guys on a different team, and yeah. it was great. And we still, you know, competition and everything. But there was definitely a little. Uh, it bothered me a little bit. Yeah. You know, I loved Paul growing up. I knew he was going to be an unbelievable basketball player. But in my head, I said, I can cover this guy. I can right. play with him. And uh, and the thing is, and and he refers to Paul. That's Paul Tanglis, our yeah. present head coach, uh, middle school teacher, um, and obviously one of Chris's really good friends uh, growing yeah. up. And but the reality is, and Paul wouldn't deny this, as a youngster, you were probably better than Paul in terms of just being tough and yeah. physical and things like that. Paul became obviously a very skilled basketball player or whatever. Yeah. But I do remember your last year in the famous summer league, um, <laughs> you still had your edge because you did not want Paul and his crew to beat you, and you played with Chaz and everybody. But yeah. obviously uh, – that was the history of the great summer league we used to have and you know some of the edges that everybody had and it, for you it was a chance to kind of prove to a lot of the guys who played on the varsity program and that you know maybe you belong there yeah. all right you graduate north end of a high school and you, college was the initial plan now yeah. full disclosure um i probably didn't say this to you then uh because i wanted to support you 100 percent i i worried about you at college i uh, hoping that that would be a good direction for you. Um, you were not in a great way in terms of, um, I worried, were you going to go to class? Was the social piece going to be more important to you than, you know, the academics and what the journey was? You still had that anger, although I got to be honest with you, you were starting to deal with the anger a lot more. Yeah. We would have many, many conversations and, uh, you know, I know how close you would you would talk to Kim, and um, you know, obviously, um, David Galician's mother, which is another aunt of yours, um, yeah. was a great resource for you. That was also a saving place for you to go to the Galician's house. Um, wonderful people. Um, so, take me through after we get north end of a high school, the original plan of what's going to happen with you. Uh, my sister Kim was the first uh, family member to go to college. Um, she, I think she did a couple of years at NECO, ended up at Merrimack, did Correct. very well there. Um, and once she graduated college, started getting job opportunities. And, and I said, you know, this is, I got to do this. I got to figure something out. Uh, so Kim took me to the, to visit a couple of schools. I decided on UMass Lowell. The only issue was I was so fed up with my home life. Um, I didn't want to live on campus because the UMass Lowell didn't really, it had a campus, but the dorms weren't, right. it just wasn't that great. And I was so fed up with home life, I didn't want to live at home. So I ended up, uh, I got a job at Sal, I had worked at Sal's Pizza all through yeah. high school. Um, Sal's had a place in Lowell. So my issue was I was going to school and then working to pay for an apartment. I got an apartment in Lowell. Right. So I was working, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours a day, going to school for four or five hours a day. It's just not sustainable. Um, and like you said, the social atmosphere, I was down in Lowell. Lowell has a lot of bars and they have a lot of social life down there. I got into that. Um, my roommate at the time was from Lowell, so he had a lot of friends down in that area. 
and it just um like it kind of goes back to high school i just academics i could do it i just wasn't motivated right um i know it upset my sister kim when i left i upset my dad too i think my dad always wanted better for me than what he had um and it just didn't work out right and i still to this day think about it um because all of my friends and family members and stuff now they've all graduated college they all have good jobs they're making a lot of money i wish i had gone back to school finished right. when i got out of the military i tried i did it for like i don't know two semesters took a couple classes didn't take a full schedule and i i enjoy it because right. i think i'm i can do it right um well let's back up a second before you talk about after you left umass lowell let's talk yeah. a little bit about and you know you've talked you know eloquently and honestly about the home life wasn't the toughest but and i knew your father um yeah. and obviously i knew your biological mother real well and um, let's be honest, they they both wanted the best for you, mm -hmm. right? And uh, in talking to your father many, many years ago, his whole thing was, I want Chris to have what I didn't have. And, yeah. you know, Kimmy was obviously the first in the family to go to college. And talk a little bit about your relationship with Kim, because I think that actually tells me a lot about you, yeah. you and Kim. Tell me about that relationship. So I'm the youngest of, of six, four sisters, another brother, but they're all older than me so right. by the time I was around basically everyone was out of the house Kim was the closest in age she was living with her mother in uh, Kingston Kingston New Hampshire yeah, yeah. Um, something happened with her mother she decided to come live with my dad which was great for me because I had a stepsister and a stepbrother who I still get along with very well but it, they weren't siblings do you right. know what I mean Kim moved back in the house um, and Kim was good about if she saw I wasn't getting along with dad or my stepmother at right. the time, Kim was so good about um, getting me out of the house. We'd go shoot hoops. We'd go to friendlies. We'd go get ice cream. We'd go walk. We'd go do whatever. Kim kind of shielded me from the different parts of the house that I wasn't crazy about. And Kim, obviously, being older, saw it more than I did. Um, and she was just uh, she was like a, a bubble in between what was going on at home and, and how I really wanted to be. Um, I mean, she was a big sister to you, but I always, because you know how close I was with Kim, yeah. I, I, I always looked at her as, God, she really wasn't much older than you, but she's in a lot of ways was your mother. Yeah. Uh, when you needed someone to say, I hear you, I sympathize with you, but she also was there like, you're wrong, Chris. Like, you've got to smarten up and do this. So um, obviously you guys are still unbelievably close. So you make the decision that eh, college is not for me. Yeah. Take me through the process of what was next and how you ended up in the military and where that took you. It, uh, it didn't take long. It, after, after I decided I, I couldn't finish school or I didn't want to finish school, uh, my dad got me a job at uh, the company that he retired from after 40 years, Bay State Gas Company. And I worked there for maybe six months. And my, kind of what my dad said to me is he said, Chris, this job, it's a union job. You're going to get a paycheck every week. You can raise a family on it. But he said it's not the most glorious job in the world. But my dad did it for 40 years. I tried it, wasn't crazy about it. And uh, when I left, or left, when I got fired um, just for being dumb, sure. Um, my dad said, well, you got two options. Go back to school and you're going to do school right or you got to join the military. So my dad had been in the Navy. My grandfather was in the Army. Um, I said, yeah, let's, let's try it. So I went down to the recruiting office, and the job I originally signed up for was as a rescue swimmer. Um, 
I didn't want to be a Navy SEAL or anything like that, but a rescue swimmer, I said, that's a, that's a physical job and, and you're saving lives and why not? So I, uh, joined, went into boot camp, probably did the rescue swimming stuff for about six weeks and then decided I, I didn't want to do it, but I had scored well in the entrance exams. So they said, uh, these, there's a list of 15 jobs that you can do. And I ended up, you know, aviation stuff, helicopters and stuff like that. But, um, my dad just basically said, you got two options here, kid, you're young. And he's like, you haven't made a fatal mistake yet that some kids do. And he said, so before you do that, let's give the military a try. So I did. And where did that take you? So boot camp was where, and then you ended up, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because it was, it was a few years that I didn't really have a lot of contact with you. You ended up on the West Coast. Yeah, so I, uh, boot camp was at Great Lakes, Chicago. Um, did the boot camp there. I think it was eight weeks, ten weeks, something like that. And then I was supposed to be stationed in Florida. That's where all their aviation stuff is. And at the time, this was I don't know, 2005 or something, it was, uh, I think the hurricanes kind of swept through Florida, destroyed mm-hmm. the bases and stuff. So they sent me out to San Diego. Uh, pretty good place to be. I'd never been there before, fell in love with it the second I got out there. And I was, the two duty stations I was at were both in San Diego. I never got sent anywhere else. So I spent five years in San Diego area, um, fell in love with it. I got very lucky. There was uh, three or four, well, it was like Mike Devin and those guys, three or four of those guys from North Andover that I grew up with. They were right. a little older than me, but I grew up with them, all lived in San Diego at the time. So I got a little bit of getting away from home, and I got the West Coast thing, and I got to join the military and got to do all that. But I also had some grounding because I had some guys from back yeah. home out there um, that's still to this day some of my best friends. Yeah. Um, so you wrap up your military career, but then it's like, all right, what am I doing post-military? You weren't going to make it a total career where you're going to spend 40 years in the military. Yeah. What was your thought process at that point, and what was the next step? Um I did pretty well in the military, um, was advanced a couple times pretty quickly, and I thought about staying in. Um, when I got my options for orders right as I was about to get out, it was there was some high-tech stuff in Maryland. I could have went down to like the Key West area, and then I think Hawaii was one of the options, which to me, I was saying, well, San Diego is kind of the same as all these places in, in theory. So it, they weren't really offering me anything that I couldn't turn down. But while I was in the military, there was a lot of sickness in my family. Um, brother got sick. My aunt got sick. My uncle got sick. So I decided that I wanted to be closer to home. So when I moved home, my sister Kim used to work for uh, Phillips Medical. And she said, with your military experience and stuff, I can definitely get you in there. I can get you a job. So I worked there for a couple of years. And it was it's a cool job. And you get into work with, you know, it's kind of the same equipment I work with on the fire department now, but um, I thought when I came home I wanted a desk job, and uh, after a year or two I realized I can't, I'm not a desk job guy. I can't do it. I can't sit in front of a computer. I don't know. The military, it gives you a lot of options. Right. Um, it's almost, it's not equal to having a degree, but you do get some options with that. Sure. So then I came home and somebody said, why don't you take the fire exam? You get extra points for being prior military, and I said okay, and I took the exam and did well, and got hired a couple of years later. So I remember when you came back, and I remember yeah. when Kim got you the job, and yeah. she was a head hunter, a head a head hunter recruiter that she was doing a lot for people, and yeah. I knew she was going to find you something. And I remember yeah. her telling me like, 
well, we got Chris a job, and I remember she was telling me the job, and I and wasn't going to poo-poo it because I wanted you to have a job, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever see you behind a desk. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I think you grow, grew really well in the military is you were out doing lots of great things, right? Yeah. So you then realize you want to take, and I'm not sure who told you to take the fire department exam, but you did. And obviously, yeah. um, it is an advantage of being a prior military. Yeah. Uh, and then you get on it. And, you know, I always say this, I said this in a past podcast, it's interesting. There's like 35 former YC kids that are involved with our fire department. And there's like 26 policemen. So it, it's pretty cool when I go to the fire department or I go to the police department, and I see all my former kids in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it didn't surprise me because I did think that you were interested in you know, doing something active, using your body and using your hands and, and quite frankly, doing things to help other people, which was really huge for you. And I don't think people knew that at, at, at the time when you were dealing with a lot of anger issues is you were always someone that cared about people. And I think that got lost when you were young that I saw right away, empathetic kid. Um, and you could always relate to kids that were kind of like you growing up. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in terms of your your wishes to be a mentor. So you take the exam, you get named to a North Andover Fire Department, and uh, you know the rest is history, so to speak. But uh, talk a little bit about your um, getting on the force with uh, North Andover Fire Department and your years being there. It was a, uh, it's, the fire department has a lot of, they call it paramilitary or whatever, but it does have a lot of the military feel to it. There's rank, there's, you know, um, chain of command, stuff like that. You got to answer to people above you. You know, you have to, it's, it's very similar to the military. Um, when I first got on, I think I still had, I mean, I think you can agree. From the time I was in North Andover to the time I left in the military and came back, I think I was a different person when I came back. Absolutely. Okay? But I still had some you, of that stuff inside me. You were me. still Chris Rowan. I a still bit. had some of that stuff yeah. inside me. Um, there was a lot of, it, I wouldn't call it anger, but just like negativity in me. And um, some of the guys on the department who I'm very close with now, they would say, hey, you're a, you're a great guy, but like, what's your deal? What's the matter with you? Right. And I'd say, right, what do you mean? They'd say, well, you're angry or, you're, or, you're, or you, you snap at somebody or, you know, you and. I didn't really understand it. Um, went and talked to a therapist. I said, you know what? If all these people are telling me, there's got to be something going on. Maybe right. I just don't see it. Um, and that was a couple years ago. And I would say the last three years since I did that, I went and vented. And you're talking to this therapist and stuff comes out that you don't even know is in there. It's strange. I've, I hear people say that all the time. Oh, I have a therapist or, or I talk to this person. I never really... I never believed it. I right. mean, it's, it always seemed like uh, like you were kind of whining. Um, but stuff comes out that you don't even know is in there. And, and when you leave, you, it's a, you feel lighter, lighter on your feet. You feel happy. You find yourself smiling for no reason. And um, since that has happened, I've really, really enjoyed my time on the department. Uh, it's a good group of guys, smart guys. There mm -hmm. are a lot of intelligent guys on that department. Um, and it kind of has that brotherhood feel to it that the military had. Sure. Um, you work with the same six or seven guys every day on your shift, and uh, it's you cook dinner together and you have lunch together, and you talk about your families. You spend time with each other's families. Um, 
How many years has it been now since you've been on the fire department? This January will be eight years. Eight years. Yeah. So it is interesting on your time frame. So when you came back, I, I actually saw you a lot when you first came back. Yeah. And then I would say there's probably a couple of years after you started the fire department that I, and I think you were at the other station. I didn't see you very often. Um, you know, if we occasionally saw each other, hey, was what's up or whatever. But I, I still saw that edge a little bit with you that I worried about you, right? Yeah. So, you know, obviously knowing the administration in town and the, you know, the fire administration, you know, I worried like, you know, is that anger gonna hurt him professionally? I do got to tell you, bro, like the last three years coinciding with you saying, you know what, I am going to talk to somebody. You are a different person now. Um, and I think I've talked to a number of your friends on the on the uh, department that verify this, that you are a different person. And, you know, I think it's living proof that and let's remember how many times you and I talked about going to therapy, right? <laughs> and uh, it was like, hell, I'm not going to therapy. You be my therapist or something like that. But the reality was you have become at more peace with yourself. Is that a fair statement? I, I think that's more than fair. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, family members see it, friends see it, uh, and more importantly to me, old friends see yeah. it. Friends that I haven't seen in a long time, and I run into them, and we chat, and we talk about whatever. It's a quick five-minute conversation we leave, and then I'll hear from somebody else who's friends with them, say, hey, you ran into so-and-so. They said, wow, what a different person Rowan is. Right. Um, How's that make you feel? Amazing, unbelievable. Because I look back on high school and middle school, and you know, even the later years, and I say, man, you, <laughs> you could have been a much better person, and people would have liked you a lot more, and you would have had an easier time, I think. Yeah. Uh, but you were just so. I, I had a. I don't know. It was like a shield up, and I and I, the only way I know how to. It, I never wanted. To be that way. Yeah, I don't know if it was a shield, bro. It was a wall. It, I mean, it, it was, and I I'm, I feel myself to this day fortunate to, to be one of the people that you allowed in your world because there were a lot of people you just, you know, purposely didn't. And, you know, I can remember even saying to adults within our system, in our school system and stuff, like, you know, trust me, Chris is not that bad of a kid. Like, he's... He's got some stuff going on or whatever. And I think most people were willing to definitely work with that or yeah. whatever. But the biggest problem was you. Was you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you and I, you know, I, I characterize us as having to this day a, a really good relationship. But uh, for, for the listeners that think it was kumbaya between me and you, that's total BS too. Like, you know, we went at it. Um, we had some times where I had to hold you accountable and... You know, I might have been nice Rick one day to you, and then I was the biggest prick in the world, that type of thing. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, the fact that, you know, there was a guy that cared about you. I had to hold you accountable and how you kind of work with that and how we both never really gave up on each other. Yeah, it it's strange when, when uh, like you said, there was my dad or my sister kind of brought me to you and said, hey, Rick, I, I need you to work with him. He needs some help. And like you said, it would be, Rick with the, the brotherly type of love one day and then you know the next day I got in trouble doing something and I had to come do community service or something and it was Rick the enforcer mm -hmm. and I didn't like that um, because I was used to the other guy right um, like I said I was used to the guy that gave me the Converse sneakers at youth services and, and we got to wear them all summer and then the next day he's got me raking leaves and taking <laughs> trash out and wasn't crazy about it but um, I didn't know any better Right. Um, 
I just assumed at that age, I just assumed that anybody who wasn't being nice, it was a, it, not an enemy, but it was there was a reason they were doing it. They were out to get me for something. Um, I always loved you. I never had a problem with that. Uh, it just, it was tough. It, it was hard for me. It's it, same with my dad. Be the big, nicest guy in the world and take me fishing and everything. Yeah. And then, you know, the next day I came home with bad grades and he had to discipline me. And I, I said, I hate this guy. Right. I hate him. Can't, I don't want to talk to him for a week. Right. But I feel like um, if I didn't see you for a while and then I came back, you never really held a grudge about it. You definitely said, hey, remember when you were you know, a jerk a month ago? And yeah. I said, yeah, I know. And then you kind of made me laugh about it and it was kind of it. But Yeah, it's kind of our relationship. I think it's yeah. kind of my relationship with a lot of people too <laughs> is I, I am one person that I don't hold grudges, right? right? My, my attitude is I always say this. You're a kid. Kids are going to make mistakes. And I'd be an idiot if I said to you I never made mistakes, right? right. So at the end of the day, I also wasn't going to give you, you know, leverage to just do whatever you want to do. Had to hold you accountability. It's one of the relationship pieces that I always cherish about you is we had some rocky roads, but it always got smooth at a period of time. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If you had an opportunity to talk to the 14-year-old Chris Rowan today as the 37-year-old fireman from North Andover, what would you say to that kid now? You know, it's funny because I, I feel like I've been asked this before, um, and it's not as tacky as it sounds. You've seen the movie Goodwill Hunting. I relate to that movie on so many different levels. Uh, obviously, I'm not a genius, but I do relate to his, his emotional issues and stuff. And there's a scene in that movie with him and Robin Williams, and I think Robin, they're finishing up their therapy or something. Robin Williams just kind of says to him, it's not your fault. Right. And Matt Damon says something like, no, I know. And then they go back. It's not your fault. And he got, you know, and then they kind of break down and they cry, whatever. That's kind of what I would say to myself. Because at 14 or whatever age, um, I knew it wasn't my fault, but it was never brought to my attention that it wasn't my fault. I knew I wasn't angry for no reason. I knew I wasn't, you know, acting out and getting bad grades and and not doing the things I should be doing. But it wasn't my fault. Um, And I think looking back on it now, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, whatever it is, uh, I wish I knew that. Um, and like you said, you told me those things a lot. You know, Chris, you, you get kind of dealt a bad hand and, you know, you just got to work your way through it. But I didn't, I, I heard you, but I didn't, I didn't hear you, Right. you know. Um, and I look back at it now and I, I wish I took people's advice a little more and listened a little more. Um, I was just, my ears were closed. There's, there's no other way to put it. So if I could talk to myself, I would say, you know, sometimes you get dealt a crappy hand and there's two ways you can handle it. I handled it the wrong way. Uh, I wish I handled it different, but that's kind of what I would tell myself. That's pretty powerful, Chris. Um, I didn't know that was your favorite movie. One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, And it's true, that scene as you're describing it right now, was so you. And for people who don't know Chris, he's he's got a little bit of Matt Damon type of looks to it. And I will say, you are not as smart as Matt Damon's character. That goes without saying. But there was another scene in that movie that is so typical of you during that period of time. And it was the bar scene in Harvard Square yep. where um, you know he's putting the moves on the girl and uh, you know a kid of privilege who thinks he knows everything and is... You know, you know, he's a golden child, comes in and starts throwing, spitting some knowledge or whatever, yeah. and Matt Damon just grills him and puts him in his place. And that's kind of what you did, too. There was a part of you that was like, 
I'm not going to be showed up. There was some jealousy when you were a young kid of kids of privilege in this community that you didn't have and you didn't like how they did that. So interesting that that movie's your favorite because I can relate to both of those scenes with you, which is interesting. A hundred percent. That that bar scene is one of my, I think one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. Yeah, I actually post that scene on social media at least once a year. I, I think it's one of the greatest yeah. scenes in a and, movie ever. And such a typical me thing too, like thinking that I was smart enough to like, you know, well, I'm going to show this guy up. The best part about that whole thing is right at the end of it. He says, of course, if, if that's not all right, we can step outside. We'll which would have been yeah, your which thing, is right? 100% me. That was 100% me. And there, and, there, and there would be one of your friends saying the last words, like, <laughs> my friend's pretty, whatever the line was about. My being, friend's wicked smart. He's wicked smart, you know. So, yeah, interesting. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, now that you're reflecting on your life, um, what are some of your biggest accomplishments? You know, we've talked about, you know, the struggles that you might have had, but, you know, in your 37 years, what are some of your accomplishments? Uh, I'm very, very proud of my military time. Um, when I went in, like I said, had a job I thought I wanted, decided to do something else, um, graduated top of my class, early promotion, and then, you know, you, you have to take, every couple of years, you have to take these uh, advancement exams. And it's all about how you score, but it's also about is there is there need for any, them to move anybody up in the military. I got moved up the first time I took the exam. So I made E5 in, I don't know, three years, three and a half years, which is, that's pretty quick. Um, so I knew you're smart enough, you're, you're hands-on, you're, you know, people like you, you get good reviews. So I knew I was doing something right. Um, and when I came back from the military, family members, mostly family members, were telling me, you're a different person. Which to me said, you took the kind of crappy hand you were dealt and you've made it better for yourself. Now I knew there was still stuff I had to fix, but I think I came back a better person, a nicer person, um, like you said, empathetic, uh, caring about other people and, and kind of how they feeling how they feel. And I can relate to a lot of people like that. Um, and then I think the fire department, at first I wasn't that proud of it because I just said, oh, I just thought it as, as a job. Um, but now that I've, with the ambulance, we go on a lot of calls, a lot of calls and a lot of different, we see a lot of different things, not just medical stuff, we see a lot of mental stuff. And I think that I have become, the guys who work with me, I, they tell me to my face, maybe they won't tell you, but they tell me that uh, I'm unbelievable with kids. Um, Empathy is a good thing, but I, I think I just relate to them on a different level, um, and I can see pain in their eyes, and I, I feel like, I don't know how to describe it, but I just feel like it, the, the job has made me a better person. Yeah, um, and, and you and I have talked about this. I actually talked to Chief McCarthy about this in terms of you have been on some calls, yeah. and one in, one in particular that I in, was involved with, that yeah. you were involved with, and it was amazing of how you helped with a young man just by diffusing the situation at a house. Um, and you basically took that kid in, in the room and kind of, you know, calmed him down and, and talked about stuff, which, which jump-started us to the point where you're looking to kind of give back to those young Chris Rowans out there. And, you know, pre-pandemic we had a plan, and then obviously the pandemic's hit. But, you know, you and I have talked about you becoming um, a mentor, or at least maybe not a regular mentor, but someone that I could use as a resource yeah. uh, to say, hey, I got the guy that I think you should listen to because he was he was you 
you know, 20 years ago, whatever. Yeah. Um, what's your interest in continuing to do some stuff to help back and be that empathetic fireman? Uh, 100%. Um, one thing I have noticed, and I, it's funny because growing up, I thought it was just, you know, people who didn't come from money and stuff were the people that had issues, but everyone's got issues. Absolutely. And I've come to find that, like, you know, you can go out to Bear Hill, you can go out to, you know, Autrenav, and two different neighborhoods, but people have a lot of the same issues. Um, and I think with kids, I feel a connection to them, and it, it doesn't really matter the age, but, um, when I show up on scene and stuff, I see it's not anger in their eyes, it's not confusion, it's genuinely like it's it's hard to describe. But I look at them and I can say he's they're not mad. They didn't break the lamp because they're mad. It's a it's a they don't know what's going on. They right. can't figure it out. Um, I want to be able to help kids or you know whoever needs it because when I was at that age, I didn't have someone. I had you, right? And you like you said, you were giving me the tough love. Um, it would be nice, I think, for those kids to have someone who's been through it. Sure. Um, because you're not talking to a therapist. You're not talking to some guy you've never met. It's somebody who's been through it. It's someone who can they can relate to what's going on. I hope it helps. Um, you know, the kid might tell me to, to beat it. I don't mm -hmm. know. But I would hope that they at least have an outlet. Yeah. Um, well, we're definitely going to take advantage of that once we get back to a little normalcy here yeah. uh, because I, I do want you to be a resource because I see it that you could be a huge help not only to me in this agency but also to the young kids because to be honest with you bro we got a lot of young Chris Rowans out there still when I told Kim about it she was over the moon about yeah. it she said that's she said you're meant to do that yeah absolutely all right we're running up against the clock but I have two more questions for okay. you we cannot let you go without talking about your years as a summer fun counselor, uh, which is pretty cool for me. This year I had to be up on the street due to all the you know safety requirements with COVID-19, and I would, I would walk by the fire station, you'd be there, and you'd have that great line about being ready for, are you ready for summer fun today? And uh, I think that job and being part of the youth center was huge for you. Can you talk a little bit about for our listeners that, you know, how much the youth center and some of fun and everything meant to you? Uh, parents, kids, whoever might be listening to this or is going to hear this, summer fun, hands down, best job I've ever had. Not debatable. Um, get to play sports with these kids all day long. If you don't want to play sports, you can do board games, you can paint, you can do whatever. Um, but the, the saying, and it's still, it's amazing because that was 20-something years ago. Yeah. And I run into people either that I worked with at that time or that I was friends with at that time. And the line, it's it's me, you, and Rick, summer fun starts today. <laughs> and it, it was a Saturday night right before we started on Monday. Right. And everyone was hanging out and we were up at the beach and partying and doing whatever. But that line, it must have been repeated 500 times that night. And you see these people now. Like I see like a Barrett Hyde and I yeah. run into him and it's the first thing he says. <laughs> Me, you, and Rick, summer fun starts today. Um, hands down, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Love it. Um, still talk about it to this day. And what's funny is I run into kids that I had when yeah, I was a counselor. Yeah. Some of them are on the, on the police department. I run sure. into, you know, um, some of the, like, the younger girls. I'm friends with like my cousin Karen and stuff and I see them and they were like, you are an amazing counselor and, and it's still... Best job I've ever had. I don't know how, I don't know how you do your selections now, but I remember when you were doing the selections for counselors. That when I got the call and said, "Hey, you got the job," I remember being like over the moon about it. 
Yeah, I mean, be honest with you, we hire all types of kids because yeah. we have all types of kids we're servicing. But I wanted to take a risk on you because I knew you'd be really good at this job. And there's one thing I will say to this day, because remember, that was still when you were going through a lot of anger issues. I never saw an angry Chris Rowan the entire six or seven weeks we had summer fun. That job, you were smiling and laughing, whatever. And, and I watch you at the fire station look at summer fun now, 20 oh, yeah. years ago. And I think you can relate to those counselors. I think you can relate to all of the memories you've had with that. And, and like I always say, guys like you and David Brown were phenomenal <laughs> counselors. You know, David Brown, I'd probably still hire to this day at age 40 or whatever he is, um, just because he just epitomized everything that we did at Summer Fun. You, so. never, you never saw uh, any of the kids around Brownie, right? and they weren't having a good time. There was no one upset or in a bad mood around Brownie. Yeah. He was one of the best. Him, Mark Kalora, those guys were... Kalora was the best because Kalora would say, all right, we're playing basketball today. And he'd be he'd play a horse or whatever, and he never let the kids win. Never let him win. <laughs> he was so competitive, unbelievable. <laughs> and Brownie, I to this today, I, I tell I tell him this at the training every year. I tell people, of course, nobody now knows who David Brown is. Right. The, the Twenty years later or whatever, but like he's a kid that if I told him I could pay him fifty thousand dollars a year to just be a summer fun counselor, he would drop whatever he was doing to do that job 100%. because that was him. That was hundred percent. Well, obviously, you were a big part of that summit. Let's finish with, uh, we give everybody uh, the final word, I guess. So, again, we're talking about your resiliency, fighting through, identifying and then fighting through some of your anger, et cetera. So your final word, whether it's directed to parents or to kids that are like the young Chris Rowans right now or anybody that's just listening that maybe's working with kids like a young Chris Rowan, what would be your final word to all these people? Um, obviously this day and age, things are different, right? Like when I was, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have all that stuff when I was growing up. But, um, if I'm talking to parents or kids or whatever, um, my biggest thing is, is put the phone down. Um, a lot of these calls that I go on, on the ambulance and stuff, when we walk into these houses and, and a kid's having an issue or whatever, you walk in and like nine times out of 10, the parents are there and they're upset, but they're on their phone sitting at the table, oh yeah, he's, he's down in, in the bedroom and they're on their phone or something. Um, kids just wanna be loved. That's kinda how I feel about it. Um, kids have issues, yeah, some are born with issues, some whatever, but um, I think you need to pay attention because I feel like this day and age that we're so separated from each other. Um, you see people driving, you see people walking, you see people walking their kids in, in strollers. And they're pushing their kids around the common and they're on their phone. Totally not involved in what they're actually doing or, or you know, who they're around. Um, as far as the kids go, I think, um, like I said, you know, the, the whole it's not your fault thing, it's not. Um, I think parents need to put a little more time into listening to the kids. Kids are a lot smarter, I think, than we give them credit for. Um, I think they're very intelligent, and I, I think they listen more than people think, too, and they, they absorb everything. Um, so I just, uh, I, would, I would say spend more time with your kids. Get off your phone. Travel. You have to travel. I've traveled a lot since, since I left North Andover, um, and there's so much in this world. And North Andover is a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong. I moved back here for a reason, but there's a lot more to this world than North Andover. Um, and the only other thing I, I have to say, and it, God rest his soul, my dad used to say this to me every day. He used to say, smiles are free, don't save them. And I 
I literally say that every day to somebody and I believe it. Um, it's okay to be upset, but there's plenty of reasons to be happy too. And smiling is a very easy thing. And just smiling to somebody or having somebody smile, you change your whole day, change your entire day. And I believe in it hundred percent. You know, Chris, uh, you know, I love you, man. We, we, we have such a strong history and, you know, I see our, our, our connection continuing long after this podcast today. Um, what you've done, I am so proud of you. Um, I will say something about your dad. Um, your dad would be really proud of you right now, man. He, uh, Appreciate it. you know, your dad had his own demons. He struggles and, and things like that. And it was not easy for you, but you have been resilient. You have worked it out. And there's no time frame on that. No. I mean, it was only three years ago. We were still worrying a little bit about maybe your anger or where you were at with stuff, but you know, you gotta give people every opportunity to make the best of it, and you are. You're, you know, the smiles comment is, is amazing, because I don't think I ever see you, whenever I see you, I, I just see nothing but a smile. Yeah. I see a, an empathetic kid that really does care about his family. Um, you know, you're gonna have a bright future. You got a, you know, a wonderful uh, girlfriend in Mackenzie, and you know, I, I think you're gonna have a real, real happy life going forward. You're still obviously a young guy at 37 years old, but obviously I love you and I'm I'm so proud of where you've really come. So I wanna thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, this is not a one-time deal. We're gonna be bringing you back once we get this sense of normalcy. Uh, I want you to be a resource um, for some of our young kids. And like I said, every year I think of one or two kids that could use you just to talk about, yeah, they got Rick. You know, remember, Rick's not the young guy that he was when you were 14 years old. So, and not everybody wants a therapist. So sometimes it's just really good to sit down with somebody that can relate to what those kids are doing. And so we're, we're going to do that. We're going to bring you over from the fire station and to talk to the kids. And I think it's just another example of how great North Andover is. I know the fire department would appreciate you working in collaboration with us. And a few of the other guys on the department have talked to me about that. And a few of the, the policemen, and it, it is, I, I do say this all the time, the amount of North Andover firemen and policemen and women that ha have come through these doors here that are now, you know, town employees is just, it's really, it's impressive for me. So again, thanks for coming on the Youth Centered Podcast. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion.